You're listening to Western Sydney Health Check, a podcast talking all things health, providing current and accurate healthcare information for the community and our staff. I'm Sia. And I'm Harrison. And we'll be taking you through this podcast. Thank you for joining us today for the latest episode of Western Sydney Health Check. Last week, across Australia, we celebrated NAIDOC Week, an annual celebration of the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So, what relevance does this celebration have to a health district? And what are the challenges that we're still working on here? With me to tackle these questions are two senior members of the district's Aboriginal workforce, Braden Nabala and John Fetuani. Braden and John, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thank you. All right. Uh, to begin, I just want to get an idea of what are your roles in the district, what it is that you actually do here. So, Braden, you're the district director of Aboriginal Health Strategy. What does that mean? Uh, I thought I might start off with a quick acknowledgement of the Darug people on whose nation we're actually meeting today. Pay respects to elders past and present and uh, other Aboriginal people with us at the meeting. I also just want to say quickly, uh, I have I am fluey, but I did get tested yesterday for COVID-19 and I'm all good. <laughs> Excellent. So... Uh, my role in the district, I think I, I see it more of as a connector and a direction giver. So I don't have direct reports and I don't do uh, operational service delivery. So my vision is is where I, I look for gaps within the system to try and figure out how we can improve those gaps, uh, all with an outcome of, of making sure that we're getting better access for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our district, improving their outcomes and um, monitoring that process through data. Excellent. I want to talk more about those gaps in a moment. But before that, um, how did you get into health? Um, You know, what's your background that led you here? Uh, So I I did a Bachelor of Behavioural Science at Griffith University, but then finishing uni, my first job was actually child protection in Narrabri. Um, I went home to Darwin, which is when I fell into health promotion. So I worked for the NT... AIDS and Hepatitis Council, where I did work for them for a few years. Ah. And then uh, from there, I got sucked into government land over <laughs> at uh, in NT government. I was there for 13 years, but always flipped between child protection and health. But, you know, both both are passionate passions for me. Mm. Um, but obviously, I think uh, health uh, is a bigger passion. Yeah. Well, well, very, very fortunate to have you here. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you. Okay. So over to you, John. I understand you're new to the district. Welcome. How long have you been here? Um, well, I won't say that I'm new. I mean, <laughs> probably about 12 months I've been in this role. Prior to that, I was working at Justice Health um, for about 18 months. And prior to that, I was working within the district as well. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So new to this role, but I've been around for a little bit. Ah, interesting. And so this role, you're the Aboriginal Mental Health Clinical Lead. What does that entail? Several kind of facets to the role. Um, One is education. So education to mental health clinicians within the mental health services um, about um, working with our Aboriginal community. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a lead in the Aboriginal Mental Health Traineeship Program um, which we have one traineeship employed at Blacktown Mental Health. Okay. Um, and then kind of recently, Ministry of Health have given um, the district some funding to do some um, support for vulnerable communities um, through the COVID-19 
kind of pandemic. Ah. Um, so one of those one of communities, of course, was the Aboriginal community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been able to kind of develop a team. Okay, that's interesting. It's interesting that you mention COVID-19. Um, what is it that makes um, Aboriginal people, I suppose, one of the more vulnerable groups um, through this pandemic? Um, so I guess if you think about Aboriginal health as a whole, excluding, excluding mental health, we think about all of Aboriginal health, um, Aboriginal people are kind of higher, higher. Mo- morbidity. So we carry yeah. more diseases, if that's, if that's a nice way of saying it. Yeah. Kind of like things like uh, diabetes, heart disease, all of those things that get exacerbated by COVID-19 yeah. means that it would have a bigger impact on the Aboriginal community than uh, n- most non-Aboriginal people. Yeah. So that we've seen within mental health services is a lot more presentations due to the isolation. Then the Aboriginal communities is kind of magnified because of the already existing um, issues mm-hmm. in terms of physical health um, and then the mental health on top of that. And Brayden, you you started talking about this earlier. You mentioned that we do have gaps in our health service at the moment. What are some of those challenges we're facing? Well, I think I want to put this on its head and I want to challenge clinicians to think about this issue differently. Mm. Um, One of the things that I always hear in, in, in circles around Aboriginal health is health literacy. And for me, uh, health literacy, I'll actually read you the, the definition as it's coming from the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare. Health literacy is about how people understand information about health and healthcare and how they apply that information to their lives, use it to make decisions and act on it. Okay. So I like to think that the system actually carries a lot of information about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's health, but we are agnostic when it comes to taking action on that. Mm. And I want to encourage clinicians to think how they can opportunistically use the data that they have at hand and they know about Aboriginal health in order to help them engage more responsibly with Aboriginal people in health discussions. Okay. So an example of that is that we know Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are three times more likely to be diabetic and not know about it. Wow. So if we can engage, if the clinicians know this, then we should be trying to test as regularly as possible whether Aboriginal people are diabetic or not. Because we also know that if you're Aboriginal and diabetic, you're 129% more likely to be an amputee. So if we know you're Aboriginal and we know you're diabetic, then we should be looking at you every single way that we can to make sure that we're looking after your feet, your hands, your eyes, your mouth, your kidneys, you know, all of that stuff. So Mm -hmm. how do we as a system use the information that we have to better engage with Aboriginal people in health discussions and health service delivery. Diabetes, for example, like if if somebody came in um, with a sore throat, could that be an opportunity to check for diabetes? Absolutely. I think any opportunity. Uh, You've got this person who's standing in front of you. I mean, one of the other things we know about Aboriginal people accessing health services is that generally there's this discussion out there that says Aboriginal people will present late to the cancer journey. So they'll they'll present when something has gone terribly bad and they're probably at the end stage of the cancer journey rather than finding them at the beginning. And so I think we need to be creative in the ways that we get access to people earlier. Uh, a key example of this is uh, the hub. So Belinda Cashman, I'll do a little plug for them, mm-hmm. at the Aboriginal Health Hub, they use something called a WDO, which is basically working off your fine. And we know that in Western Sydney... 
it's got the biggest problem of fines and a lot of that sits with Aboriginal people. When you say fines, is this like parking fines or... Parking tr- fines or, or, you know what, I'm I'm pretty poor and I need to go from Doonside to Parramatta, so I'm just going to hop on the train and hope for the best. Okay. Then I get caught, then I can't pay for that fine, so it triples and, you know, escalates so uh-huh. that you end up with this massive fine. Uh-huh. WDOs are a way of working off those fines uh-huh. and you can be linked in with WDOs if you say, we have a service... And if this person comes to my service, they can knock $1,000 off their fines. So the key example is that Belinda ran this thing around uh, pap smear testing. So they said, if you come in and you get a pap smear test, we'll take $1,000 off your fine. Wow. That captured, that, that, you know, is an incentive and it drives people towards healthy Uh behaviours. So they actually, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but in my mind it's something like a 20-something-year-old woman who had a couple of kids... She would probably never have come along to this, but she had a fine, so she came along, mm. and they found early-stage cervical cancer. Wow. Right? So this is... And if you think about it as a, as a way we say, that person probably wouldn't have shown up until she was 30, 40 at end-stage cervical mm-hmm. cancer, but this was an, a, a way that the system was proactive in encouraging people to access our health services mm. and delivering a great outcome. So we've spoken a lot about physical health. How about mental health, John? What are some of the gaps or some of the the challenges that we see specifically for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people there? Again, I think Braden touched on access. So we think about kind of Aboriginal people's history um, and the trauma that's related to the history Mm -hmm. post-colonialism. Clinical setting, a hospital, anything like that is something that Aboriginal people won't present to. Okay. So I think being able to be proactive, as Braden said, and kind of go out. So we have services in the community that people, that Aboriginal people feel safe. Mm. And it's a culturally safe environment for Aboriginal people. We have the men's shed out at Edmonton. We have the Bay and Aboriginal Corporation. Mental services are working on, they're working on at the moment, is these kind of partnerships with these services so that we can go out, um, our clinicians can go out and do assessments at these places that people will present to. Instead of, you know, making appointments in our centres where Aboriginal people won't attend, they don't attend three times, then we close their file because we say they're lost to care. Uh, yeah, so... And I guess that would have got harder this year as well, right, with COVID again, to try and... There's yep. a, just another barrier for people to come into a healthcare setting, yeah, that definitely. level of fear. Yep. So it's about how can we change the way that we give this service to people to make them more likely to engage and, and more likely to get the help they need. Well, that's right. And it's like Braden said, it's getting it earlier than, you know, when something happens, especially mental health, because late-stage mental health is quite drastic when we think about suicide and self-harm mm-hmm. kind of behaviours. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And we actually spoke about that on the, the podcast uh, last week as well, about suicide prevention and, and what can we as individuals, but also we as a health district do towards that aim. So it's yeah. good to hear about the work that's happening there. Yes. So we've mentioned a couple of projects that are in the works already. Um, John, what are some of the big goals or, or other projects that the district is working on at the moment in this space? So I think one of the big kind of priorities for Western Sydney Local Health District and Braden's more kind of aware of it is the kind of increase in Aboriginal workforce. What difference does it make having Aboriginal people in certain roles? I mean, other than for those people having a, a job, what difference does it make for our district and our service and our consumers? Well, I think it's more of a face um, 
a familiar face. So it might not be someone they know, but it's somebody that they know might know their history and know their background and understand their background, as opposed to someone who doesn't really know. A lot of Aboriginal people don't want to engage with our services because they have to tell their story a thousand times, whereas an Aboriginal worker would understand their story before they come in. Mm. Um, I think it's it's about being able to, yeah, that engagement for clients to come in and engage with someone who's Aboriginal. Mm. So John's just touching on something that I totally agree with, and it's around the capability of the system to be culturally responsive. And so the more people that you have in the system that are from the same background, the more responsive the system can be to them. And so one of the things that, that we're working on is trying to improve that pipeline of employment into the district. Last week was great. We got five new cadets. First time ever, I think, for Western Sydney Local Health District. We got uh, an occupational therapist, physiotherapist, two speech therapists and a radiographer, as well as two nurses and a midwife. So that's eight new people who will begin working with us once they've successfully completed their degrees. Um, but the other thing that we're working on is something that got signed off just recently, as in last week as well. Uh, we have this thing called the Greater Western Sydney Region, which is an agreement between the, the chairs and the CEOs of South Western Sydney, Western Sydney and the PM Blue Mountains mm. to work on collaborative things that they think are really useful for Greater Western Sydney. And they signed off last week on an academy, an Aboriginal Health Academy wow. for Greater Western Sydney, which will include those three districts. So 2022 will be the first year that we start this, but it's about getting those young kids into uh, a system where they will graduate in two years with a Cert three in allied health assistance. We'll then say to them, we'll employ you with that Cert. Some, some of those kids will come to us and say, here's my certificate, give me a job. Others will then be sparked to say... I actually really enjoyed my time at physiotherapy, so I think it's something that I want to do. Mm. I want to go and study it, and then we will get into a cadetship with them, a bit like the cadets that we have now. Uh -huh. So it's about you know getting that pipeline of kids into employment in Western districts so that we can have that greater diversity and, and building the cultural capability of the system. That's very exciting. Yeah. We're breaking exciting news here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> of course... It's not all challenges. We want to talk about uh, the good parts as well and, and celebrate. And that's exactly what we were doing last week with NAIDOC Week, celebrating Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history and culture and achievements. Brayden, I wonder if I could ask, ask, what does it mean to you personally, NAIDOC Week? Sure. Um, well, I was actually thinking on in, t in terms of the theme of this year, always mm. was, always will be. Um, NAIDOC Week in general, I think, is about celebrating what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people bring to the nation. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think that can get lost in other stuff. And, and so it's nice to take a breath and reflect and acknowledge. So that's what NAIDOC me means to me. Mm. Uh, in terms of this theme of this year, always was, always will be, I got thinking about uh, Eddie Marbo. So Eddie, Eddie Marbo had a very long fight with the legal system in Australia and he won. And what he, what he overturned was the doctrine called terra nullius. And terra nullius was actually saying this land can be secured because it is currently uninhabited. And so the work that he did for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today has been monumental mm -hmm. in being able to say, in fact, terra nullius was a lie 
people were here, this land was inhabited. We looked after the seas and the land and 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 the animals and the flora and fauna and all of that kind of stuff. So, and for that to be acknowledged by the High Court actually then says, all right, so we, we do have a problem and that problem is that Terra Nullius didn't really exist and so we've got to try and figure out a way forward. But I think it's great to acknowledge that, as Eddie Marbo was able to do, is to say this land always was and it always will be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander land. And does that mean exclusively? Like, is it will it always be Aboriginal land and, and non-Aboriginal people don't belong here? Uh, no, I, I don't want to confuse that. Uh, I think, you know, non-Aboriginal people belong to this land as well. Uh, and I think that there is a collective ability to share in in what we have. And, of course, there are places like Sydney that, al- although there are Eora and Darug, uh, they don't own your backyard, <laughs> you know? So uh, I think being able to acknowledge that link and that history is great, but your backyard is your backyard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, finding that way forward together as a nation. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's other useful bits that can come out of that because, like, a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that own country or have access to country want to make sure that they protect it and keep it there for generations to come Mm. so that people like you and I can go camping in some great spots and it'll always be there for us, our children, our grandchildren. And how about for yourself, John, NAIDOC Week or even... The theme this year always was, always will be. What does that mean to you? It's kind of ironic that always will, always will be was a theme this year when it was only a few weeks ago, um, the only Jabbaran country in Victoria, they cut down um, a directions tree mm. to make way for a highway. Now, this is traditional um, land that's traditionally owned. It's all good for us to kind of celebrate one week a year, but there's you know, 359 days of the year that, you know, for us Aboriginal people that this kind of stuff is still going on. Mm. Um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to throw some controversy Absolutely. out there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, good. that's very good. No, and that's very true. I mean, I think a lot of people were shocked, for example, to see um, the sacred um, sites that were blown up yeah. in the mining the exploration, Tinto, right? Yeah. The Rio Tinto. Another and, example. That's right, yeah. And to compare that, the no protection for these sites that they knew were sacred sites yeah. compared to the protection for a statue, for example. Yeah. So for a non-Aboriginal person such as myself who might, you know, have a couple of days or a couple, maybe a week in the year where I'm thinking about these things or there might be one news story that, that grabs my attention, what, what else should I be doing? What else... Can people who care about these things be doing on a regular basis, not just one week of the year? I think it all starts with education. Not just, I mean, education system, yes, but it's kind of educating yourself about what's going on. Mm. Um, research into, you know, things that are happening, not just what kind of mainstream media tell us, because a lot of these things won't be reported in mainstream media. Um, you exactly. Know, Find a friend. Yeah. Find a friend, find an Aboriginal friend and, <laughs> and have a discussion. Yeah. But I also wanted to say, like, have, have you got a $50 note? Have you ever looked at it? Uh, not on me. I don't really have cash these days. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, well, so people aren't doing that. I'm, I'm a cash guy, so. Uh-huh. But David Unipayan is on there. Absolutely brilliant Aboriginal person who has given so much to this nation. 
he wrote books, uh, an, an anthology on uh, mythology or, or, you know, the creation stories of, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. He also invented what we use today is the shaver. So he invented the bit behind that. What? Uh, and because it didn't have a um, copyright on it, Patent, yeah. yeah, it got... It's now free for everyone, but, you know, he he gave that to this nation and to the world. Wow. Um, that's why he's on the $50 note. And I never knew that. And he also, like, they called him the uh, Australian Leonardo da Vinci because he created something like the helicopter based on the movement of the boomerang. So he developed something like a helicopter based on the the flying principles of the boomerang. My goodness. Yeah. That is incredible. Brilliant guy. It's yeah. funny that you mention an electric razor when, when you're both rocking quite impressive beers <laughs> <laughs> and I'm clean-shaven baby face over here. <laughs> yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> I wanted to maybe wrap up by thinking about that because you... Um, a part of NAIDOC Week is recognising Aboriginal achievements and that right there is a fantastic example that many mm. people might not be aware of. Were there, just off the top of your head, was there anybody else that you thought um, anyone listening should Google, this person should be a household name and they aren't? Well, for me, I'll just throw my two cents worth in again. Um, Udru Nunakle, brilliant woman, uh, Kwandamuka, I think, which is uh, Stradbroke Island, she is a literary genius, so she did hundreds and hundreds of poems and wrote lots of books. Okay. Look her up. Absolutely. Do you want any? Uh, I'd probably, just thinking about what Braden said earlier, Eddie Marbo, who kind of did a lot for our kind of land rights kind of stuff. Um, Charles Perkins, maybe, who did a lot of kind of civil rights things for Aboriginal people um, kind of years and years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can have that kind of understanding and kind of almost tolerance for an Aboriginal people and our kind of beliefs and our kind of traditions and law. That's all we have time for today. But Braden Nabala, John Fetuani, this has been very educational and entertaining. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Thank you, Harrison. Thanks for listening to Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is produced by Western Sydney Local Health District. For the latest news, visit us at thepulse.org.au.